Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Hello, this is Dr. Jennifer Conzin with The Art of Intimate Marriage. And we have been doing the last few broadcasts on how does someone who is not in a marriage relationship, how do they live out their sexuality? So if you are a parent listening to this, this can be very beneficial for helping your children that might be of all ages, whether they're teenagers or college students or singles. And also these broadcasts can be very helpful to people who are single, who are students. And so in our last episode, we talked about how the body is not made for sexual morality and all the different effects that sexual morality can have on the body. Today, I want you to actually hear from some of the individuals who have been living out their bodies and attempting to not live by engaging sexually with others because of their beliefs, but how challenging that can be. And so I am going to share with you some of the words of different teenagers and single individuals who I have interviewed, and they're, I'm also going to share with you some of the questions that they have, and I'm going to give you some of the answers I generally give to those young men and women who are looking to live their lives in a way that does honor God with their bodies, and yet they're also trying to figure out how do they interact with their bodies and the sexual parts of their body and the sexual feelings and sensations that they have. So let me just share with you, first of all, what some of the words of individuals some of the words that they have shared with me. So one individual said, in high school among my friends, I knew people who were having sex and it seemed like a very nonchalant kind of thing. It wasn't talked about, but everyone knew it was going on. There was no type of monogamous thing. It was super casual. So this individual is sharing that, boy, it was happening all around me. Maybe we didn't talk about it, but it was happening. Another individual said, My school was definitely surrounded by sexual activity and partying. It got to the point where they put up a sign that said no latex, and we figured out that that was no condoms at school. It was definitely everywhere at school. You couldn't go to class and not hear a story or have someone show you a video they saw or hear someone say, hey, check out that girl. It was a battlefield at school, but I never confessed about the temptation when I heard that kind of stuff, and it made it really difficult to live a pure life. So this individual is sharing about the bombardment of hearing things and seeing things and people doing stuff and telling stories, and that they didn't know who to tell about everything that they're hearing. We need to provide an atmosphere within our spiritual families in which we give room for those who are single and students to talk about what they are experiencing. Because although they might be choosing not to engage sexually, most around them are. And that bombardment can be very challenging to the process of trying to pursue purity. 
One other person said, I heard a lot from people. Really often it was mostly with one crowd, the popular kids going to parties and hanging out. And it wasn't everyone, but it was a good number of people that I was hearing it from. And pornography was a big deal. And so another individual had shared that because it was this popular crowd, it made them feel like they couldn't be a part of the in crowd because they didn't engage sexually. So it affects people socially, and we need to be able to talk about that. These are very real things. Plus, pornography is everywhere, and they're being inundated by it, or friends are showing them pictures. And this isn't just for high school students. This is also for singles and campus students. Another individual shared, I felt insecure in high school because I wasn't active as some of the other kids were, and it almost seemed like they were much cooler, much more respected, and much more popular. It's like if you didn't know about it, then you weren't as accepted in those circles. I felt super insecure. I heard them, but I didn't know what they were saying or talking about. And so you almost feel like sex becomes more important than someone's personality or their character, like when you're looking for women to date. So this individual felt like, gosh, I'm not cool because everybody around me is engaging sexually and I'm not. And it made him feel insecure. Do we provide a place for those who are single among us? And those of you who are listening who are single, do you have a place to go and share about these challenges that these kids are experiencing that you may, might be experiencing. Well, the thing is, is it's not just in the schools. They're sharing about what they're hearing and what they experienced in their homes. Let me share with you some of the comments from some of those that were interviewed. One individual said, at home, it was never talked about unless I brought it up, but it was still not talked about very much. I remember my parents talking about it a couple of times growing up, but then there was never any open dialogue about it. Any explanation like what it is anatomically or emotionally. Okay, we had the one talk, but there was never any more talk about it. And so the lack of talking about it often leads young men and women to feeling like it's negative, it's dirty. Another person said, when I was at home, we didn't talk about sexuality. And my mom and dad, I think, tried to have a conversation with me, maybe when I was 16, but it wasn't impacting enough for me to even remember about it. So <laughs> are we making special times? Are we sitting down and having honest conversations within the home? There's a lot that they're hearing and they're asking and they're often going on the Internet to get their questions. One individual shared, my parents never talked to me about sex ever, but the experience I had from it that was with it when one of my parents committed adultery, and it, yet it still wasn't talked about in my house. I definitely heard that you don't do it until you're married. You'd better be a Christian, but we didn't talk about it that much. So this individual knew that their parent had committed adultery, but they never talked about it in the family. I had one young man share that he had engaged in sexual relations in college. And, you know, then when he decided that he shouldn't be doing that, he went back and, and found out that actually one of his parents had been involved in an extramarital relationship as a Christian. And that this young man was like, gosh, I wish my parent had told me because then I think I would have felt more comfortable coming to talk to my parent about how challenged I was to remain pure. 
So even our mistakes, are we talking about our mistakes? One of the biggest questions I get from single individuals when I do workshops is, why don't the married people talk to us about sex? How come they all get all hush-hush when we walk in the room? I mean, (laughs) and so I'm like, that's a really good question. Okay, so this is some of the things that they're sharing about what happens with them at school, what happens with them at home, but they're also having some experiences within their spiritual environments at church. And so let me share with you some of the words that were said. One individual said, nobody talked about it at church ever, unless it was don't do it or don't think about it. It wasn't talked about at all. It was not explained or discussed in a way that made it okay to bring it up. But it was when you're married, it's great. And that was the end of the conversation. (laughs) And actually, most single teen campus individuals tell me that, that the only things they heard were the don'ts. Don't think about it. Don't do it. And when you're married, we can talk about it. And it leaves them feeling like everything sexual is a taboo subject. So then they got that message when they were young. And now they're getting it in all atmospheres, including at church. Um, Another individual said, I think growing up in the church, I was definitely taught to wait until you're married and that this is what the Bible says about sex. And I felt aware of that even in high school. But there is definitely like a strong curiosity, especially when you hear about it a lot at school and even amongst other teens. This is teens in the church who were sexually active. I knew kids in my ministry that were having sex. And, you know, we loved our ministry and we loved being with each other. But there was this I have this life here and then I have this other life where I can be what I want to be and what I want to do. So kids are going to church and seeing other kids who are involved in sex that they go to church with. And they're curious, but they don't know who to talk to about that curiosity. We have got to make it open and okay to talk about it within our families about what's happening at school, about what's happening at home, and about the questions they have that ministries need to be talking openly about it, single ministries, campus ministries, teen ministries. So if you want to read more, you can actually go get the book Redeemed Sexuality, and there's much, much more quotes on there from these different individuals. Well, some of these same workshops that I've done, people have come up with different questions. And I want to share some of those with you and some of the common ways that we might answer those. So I had one individual ask, why can't I touch my body if I'm not arousing others? It's only my body anyways. If my mind is just blank and I'm not thinking of any person, is masturbation a sin? You know, (laughs) this was written by a single individual, but actually married individuals ask this. What's wrong with masturbation if I'm not thinking about anybody else? And so I give quite a few different answers to that, but, and you can listen to those in previous broadcasts, but one of the things to consider when it comes to masturbation, well, number one, the scriptures actually don't point blank say masturbation is a sin. There is no scripture that says that. However, what we do know is that the overarching view of sexuality in the Bible, and you can go back and listen to a broadcast on that, on the uh, biblical view of sexuality on my website, but the overarching view of sexuality is in the scriptures are when it creates intimate connection between two people, that that's when sex is to occur. So in other words, any sex outside of that is not upheld in the scriptures. Okay, well, the other piece, though, is why this answer to this question, why can't I touch my body if I'm not arousing others? In other words, if I'm just arousing myself. So the question here is about arousal. Should we be arousing ourselves 
when we're not in a relationship? Well, one of the things we do know is out of Song of Songs in chapter two, verse seven, it says, do not stir up. And the word there in the NIV is arouse. Do not arouse or awaken love until the appropriate time. So literally, the scriptures here are talking about arousal and a stirring up. And these are the same words that are used to describe the stirring up that happens when someone engages sexually, that those stirred up kind of feelings are supposed to occur, according to Hebrews, within the marriage bed. So it can be helpful to go and look at those scriptures scriptures do make it clear that sex is for marriage. And you can actually check that out in a full chapter of called Save Yourself in our book, Redeemed Sexuality. And what we also know is that even looking at something and thinking lustful thoughts out of Matthew 5, 28, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So even a lustful thought towards another person is considered adultery in the scriptures. Now, again, this is slightly different than what the question is here about what if I'm not thinking about anybody else and my mind's just blank. Well, the reality is very few people can actually create arousal without picturing somebody else, without picturing something sexual, even if it's a picture. So consider these answers to a very, very good question on if my mind's blank, isn't it okay? Well, arousal, according to the scriptures, is actually supposed to occur in the marital relationship. At a different conference, someone asked, am I sinful if I dream about having sex, even though I'm not actually having sex? So this comes up for people when they're when they're single, when they're teens, when they're campus students. Actually, I've had this question asked by married women as well, that they will experience what feels like an orgasm while they're in a dream state. They weren't touching themselves and so on. And the way that I generally answer that is, well, first of all, if there's anything that you're doing during the day, such as masturbating or looking at pornography or, or lusting or viewing somebody or watching certain kinds of movies and so on, then you'll want to consider if that's affecting your dreams. However, it's not uncommon at all for people to have sexual dreams. And there's really not a lot you can do to control your dreams. The main thing is, is that people will sometimes feel guilty for those dreams and the sexual arousal. Men and young boys will experience an erection at, in the night and sometimes have a wet dream. They will expel ejaculate. And the main thing to do about that is just to realize that the body can respond even in the middle of the night to a dream. A body can respond sexually. And then if you're feeling emotional about that or any kind of guilt about that, or you're just wondering what to do about that, talk with somebody that you trust. Mostly where Satan can really get involved is if we're just not open with it, even if what we've experienced isn't anything that's sinful. Nevertheless, just the worry about it or the wondering about it or the guilt can be important to talk about. And then to just to hear from somebody, yeah, that happens to me too. And, you know, just pray and, you know, an encouraging response can be amazing. All right. Here's another question that someone asked. How do I overcome my physical desires as a single parent? Such a great question. You know, one of the biggest things that I help individuals with is that the first thing is when you feel that arousal, when your body, when you can feel the desire and the physical desire is still there, especially if you've been involved sexually before or even if you were married before, 
um, is just to notice when your body is aroused and just to accept it. Our bodies will feel aroused. Sometimes there's a period of, you know, mourning the loss. When I I work with in a single individuals who used to be engaged or used to be married and engaged sex, in sexual relationships, they it's a loss no longer engaging sexually. And it is important to notice that loss and to give it some room to realize that, you know what, I I miss it. I miss the physical body to body, skin to skin touch. I miss having orgasms. And often what happens is people like, oh, you just need to be happy with being single and God will provide. And they give pat answers when actually the step I would put in there is don't give the pat answer. Instead, go, yeah, it's a loss and it's a bit of a grieving to not be able to engage in that way to choose not to engage in that way. So embrace that loss, embrace the physical arousal, and then you can bring in your values and your beliefs on what to do with those sensations and those feelings. You know, when we make the decision to submit our body to God, that very process of submitting ourselves to the to God creates in us the very heart and character of Jesus. When we decide not to, when we bring in our values and our beliefs and we decide to submit those value, those uh, arousal feelings and those, those uh, sexual desires to God, God can actually do incredible things in our character and in our heart. Uh, you can actually read some more about that whole idea of submitting your body to God and letting him work on your character in a book called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, a great book about surrendering our ourselves, our entire selves to God and letting him work on us. Well, spiritual sexual discipline can create in us a stronger character. God calls us to bring all of our hopes and our desires to him. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 says that we're supposed to pray about everything, bring it all to him. And that can include the need for physical touch and affection. Bring that to him, share that with him. If you are single and if you've, if you're a single parent and you've engaged sexually in your past. I'm going to go on and share some other questions that individuals had asked at the at, at the different workshops I've been at. But before I do that, let me just share what you're listening to. This is a listener-supported ministry. Um, it is called The Art of Intimate Marriage. We are um, also sharing just recently in the last several broadcasts about everyone who is not married, how they interact around their sexuality. You can listen to all the previous broadcasts on my website, theartofintimatemarriage.com. On that website, there are blogs. There are also links to how you can buy our books, The Art of Intimate Marriage and Redeemed Sexuality on Amazon. This is, like I said, a listener-supported ministry. You can There's a link on the website to um, supporting this ministry so that we can go out to more people and for longer length of time. So go ahead and look on that website and find all kinds of different uh, resources there. Also, you can send me questions at jenniferconson at yahoo.com. I love to get your questions. And so that that's what I'm actually sharing today. I'm sharing people's questions. Um, feel free to send those and I will answer them. All right. I had another individual who asked, if someone was sexually active before becoming a Christian, but no longer experiences any urge for sex, 
uh, since that time. Is that normal? Is it normal that now that I'm older, that I don't struggle with the temptation to masturbate? And will this affect my future if I do get married? So uh, for those who have been single for a while, they do get concerned. Will the switch turn back on? Will I still be interested in sexuality? And sometimes they're even more concerned because, gosh, I don't think sexual thoughts. And what does that mean? Does that mean it's gone and it's never going to come back? I think that's a really valid question. And I'll just answer very practically. I do work with individuals who have um, gotten married after a long length of being single. And most, without fail, return to being interested in sex. However... Because sometimes people get married without very good premarital sex, they don't learn what to do premaritally, and therefore they don't know what to do when they do get married. And so they end up having problems in their sexual relationship because they expect the switch to just turn back on. And it doesn't always happen that way. When people do get married, they often do have to work um, a bit at helping the sexual relationship work well and be pleasurable. And so what I recommend is get some really great premarital counseling that includes counseling about the sexual relationship premaritally, not the day before, <laughs> longer than that, so that you can then have a really fun time exploring one another when you do get married. However, yes, sometimes people's sexual interest is low when they haven't, when they've waited uh, for a long time. And the reality is for most people, they can still engage in a really enjoyable sexual relationship, even though they're not thinking about sex all the day long. You know, they can still engage in giving to one another and enjoying sex. I did uh, receive a couple different um, questions from some teenagers. I started doing, or people who talked about what had happened to them during the teenage years. I started doing pornography as a 14-year-old, and then I had early experiences of sex. How do I correct the thoughts that still go through my head? How do I deal with the temptations to masturbate that I feel like I cannot escape? So often when people have had a background in sexuality and they're trying to stop, they don't know what to do with the pictures and the, um, the remembrances that they have and that it's just so hard to escape that pull. And it is important to recognize the pull. So this is out of James 1 in verse 14, where he talks about how by his own evil desire, a man is dragged away and enticed and that that leads to sin and that leads to death. But we don't pay attention to what are the words in there. And that's enticement. We have to pay attention to those pulls. We have them. Um, if you've already engaged in pornography or if you have a background in masturbating, it's still going to pull at you at times, possibly. And we need to talk about it, not after we've full-blown done something, but when we feel the enticement, when we feel the pull. Now, yes, Paul clearly teaches in 1 Corinthians 10 that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. Well, it's important to figure out a way out. Often people don't want to engage in those things, but they don't have a very good plan on how to engage in something else, how to 
involve themselves in something else other than masturbation and pornography. So have a plan. Do you have one? Have you shared it with someone? That's a very important process. Sit down with someone that you trust, someone that cares about you, and make a plan for how to respond to those pulls. Because, yes, the pull is stronger when you've already engaged in it in your background. All right, here's another really good question. Is it wrong that I stop myself from falling into temptation by saying to myself that if I do it, something bad will happen to me? This is not an uncommon uh, maneuver that people will, I just don't want to engage in masturbation and pornography. I don't want to end up becoming engaged sexually with this person that I'm attracted to. So I'm just going to tell myself, oh, but there's going to be really bad things that happen. Well, you know what? Sometimes <laughs> understanding really bad consequences can stop us from engaging. Like the fear of hell does initially draw people to learning about God and Jesus and the reading the Bible. So having those initial motivations, you know, aren't necessarily wrong, but they don't last very long. And that's what's important. Again, this is the difference between extrinsic motivation, which I talked about in the previous broadcast, and intrinsic motivation. In other words, we've got to find the internal things that keep us making good choices. Because after a while, those negative consequences, somebody telling you, you'll get somebody pregnant, or you're going to get pregnant, or you're going to get an STD, or, 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 and these very, you know, scary things, that motivation will only last so long. So remember what Titus says in chapter two. He says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So if you are using some of these negative things to keep yourself from having sex, you may want to just work on how to have other positive motivations, the grace of God, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, his love, his blood his incredible care for us, those motivations are going to last a lot longer. You know, the real question comes up. One individual asked me, how do I get away from doing pornography when each time I keep saying it's the last time? In other words, a lot of individuals have said, I keep trying, I keep trying. So when I say get a plan, sometimes you may have to examine, are you dealing with a possible addiction with those things? And do you have a good plan for dealing with that addiction? So get some help with those areas. And always remember, God knows our hearts. If you are longing and hungering for pursuing purity, go read 1 Corinthians 7.10 and ask God to bring about a godly sorrow. Go look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and the following that talks about how openness can bring about the washing in the blood and a healing and a fellowship with one another. We do need to make sure that we are open and transparent so that God can really bring about change. And that when we are open and transparent, once others are open and transparent with us, that we have the same response that Jesus had when the women came to him caught in adultery or the women who had had multiple partners came to him. Very gracious, very loving response. So when people come to you with their questions like the ones I've I've shared with you today, make sure to have the same gracious response that Jesus had. This is Dr. Jennifer Conson with The Art of Intimate Marriage. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. 
Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Kanzen to address here on air, email her at jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. Kanzen is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N, jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you, and if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. To give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Kanzen's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.